to draw your attention this morning to the words that are found in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15 through 24, as we continue in our new study that we just started on Luke's salvation parables. You'll find it on page 739 if you are using a copy of the Bible under the seat in front of you. Having finished our series on gossiping the gospel, you will remember that our attention then was on uh, looking outward, taking this gospel that has been given to us and being faithful in going into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world as God has called us in word and deed to communicate, to gossip that gospel with others. We now have kind of taken the horse and put it behind the cart and come back to this next series that we're doing for the next few weeks in the summer, and that is Luke's salvation parables as we think now inwardly. Instead of thinking outwardly and our call and command to evangelize the lost, we're spending some time now asking the Spirit to search us and try us to be certain that this gospel has actually been worked in us because it's easy for us to play a part and not actually respond to this gospel that God gives to us. So we began a couple of weeks ago and we continue today with Luke's various salvation or parables that deal with salvation, focus on salvation. And Jesus certainly gives us one here in Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. Hear now the word of God. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the same time the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into all the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father, we do pray like David from Psalm 139 that you would search us and try us to reveal anything unclean within us, reveal any way we have devalued the gospel and failed to respond to it in our own lives. So do that work now, please, we pray, that we might live it out to the full, enjoying you forever. This we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Some time ago, RDS, Redeemer Day School, our preschool that meets here at the church, was having one of our annual garage sales, and they did the typical fashion of moving all of the chairs here in our sanctuary and putting up tables, 
and they put all the donations that you and the parents from the school brought onto those tables for the garage sale in support of the school. I came out of my office one day because I like to just check on things to see how the ladies are doing and to dialogue with them as they're up here that entire week working tirelessly to get this event done. And I was walking around looking at all of the stuff that had been donated and there it was in its box, still unused, a gift that I had purchased and given to someone else (laughs) who now had donated that gift to the garage sale. And then the next day, the garage sale took place. I stood out in the narthex and I saw this person walk out with this box, this gift, under their arm, give a couple of dollars for this gift, and walk out with the gift that I had given to someone. Can you believe that? (laughs) The ultimate re-gifter, I guess, huh? Okay, I'm standing in the pulpit, I guess, as God's instrument and vessel of grace. I must, be, I must be honest, I'm the one that gave the gift. I'm the one that donated the gift to be sold and given away. I got this gift that I would never use. And so I just donated it to the garage sale. But it sold and it supported. It, did. it went to a worthy cause. And that worthy cause was the support of this. Now, don't let that stop you from giving me gifts. I, I love to receive gifts. But I wonder, friends... Really, in all honesty, I wonder, do we devalue the gospel that way? Do we think so lowly of the gospel of grace that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us that we devalue the worth of that by responding in such a way? Now, I'm not talking about giving it away. Certainly, we're supposed to give away the gospel. That was the series that we just finished, all about gossiping the gospel. I'm talking about devaluing the worth of the gospel, that we think so little of the value of it, that we treat it as if it is not worth much of anything at all. Sometimes I think for people like us, friends, really our fallen condition is this. We devalue the gospel because we think down deep that we're actually pretty good people. I mean, we are Reformed Presbyterians. We have our theology down. We know what we're talking about. We believe in the Bible and believe that it is inspired and infallible. And our doctrines prove that and we hold on to those doctrines. But friends... Have we devalued the Savior by elevating our own religiosity and thinking that we are such good religious people that we have failed really to even respond to the gospel? Have we devalued it that much? Some parables that we read in the Bible, we have to go go figure out what they mean. We have to look at different characters or different events as, as types and things that... The, the story is trying to make so that we can understand the actual te- teaching of that uh, particular parable. But friends, this parable that Jesus gives us is very straightforward. It is a straightforward parable in that Jesus is saying there is an invitation to a wedding feast, a banquet feast, the feast of our Savior. And people respond to this invitation differently. They respond by rejecting it, by devaluing it, even either rejecting it altogether as if they want nothing to do with it, or devaluing it even though they would call themselves religious people because they really haven't responded to it. And then there are those who respond to it by accepting this gracious 
inheritance that we have been given, made righteous in the sight of a holy God by this gospel of grace. And not only have we accepted it, but we're wrapping our arms around it and we're living in the fullness of the value of this gospel every day by enjoying our Savior forever and forever. Which one are you, my friends? That's my question. Which one are you in this response? Have you devalued the wealth of this gospel? Or have you richly been blessed, this inheritance, embraced it, respond to it? Jesus is now Lord and Savior of your life, and you are living in the fullness of this glory every single day. Not making a new decision to come to Christ every day, but every day, every day dying to self and living into the righteousness that you've been given in the gift of this glorious gospel. We've got to go back, friends, and get a little bit of context, a little bit of understanding, to understand the rejection that's taking place here by this first group that Jesus addresses. Look back at the beginning of chapter 14. We read there in the context that this is a, on a Sabbath day. Uh, Jesus went into the house of a, of a prominent Pharisee, and this prominent Pharisee was having a, a celebration where Jesus had been invited with other individuals. There is a sick person there, uh, someone who has edema, uh, the retention of, of water. And Jesus begins a conversation with these individuals, simply saying to them, uh, is it right for me to heal on the Sabbath day, or is it wrong for me to heal on the Sabbath day? And look at their responses. It's quite interesting. Look at verse 4. They remained silent. They, they didn't even answer uh, the question. And then at the end of verse 6, we read the same thing. Jesus asks again, is it all right for me to, to heal on the Sabbath? And then in verse 6, they said nothing. So they're not responding to him at all. He's asking simple questions and then the story goes on to, to show us that Jesus heals the individual and he leaves. And then he begins to spank the host and the guests that are at this table with him, these prominent religious people, these prominent Pharisees, by, by saying, you, you got it all wrong. You're inviting people and you're taking seats of honor. You're trying to sit in the places of honor when you should be inviting the, the lame and the crippled and those that are in great need, those that, that will understand the value of what it is that, is that is taking place in this feast. Instead, Jesus is asking them questions and they're, they're actually doing nothing at, at all. They're not saying anything at all. That helps us then understand then a little bit in verse uh, 16, the tenses that we read in, in Greek. A certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. This is all done in the past tense. He was preparing past tense to invite these individuals. And then the time comes, verse 17, that now the present tense, it's time for the banquet. And so he sends the servant out to say, come, everything is now ready. You would understand it like this. You get in the mail that save the date, right? Save the date because some, something big is coming. And then you get that followed by the invitation, come on now, it's, it's time for you to come and enjoy the celebration. The same was true, that, that was cultural back then. There was gonna be a big event. 
And so they just said, save the date. It's coming. We're going to have a great big feast, a big banquet. And then the time comes and the individuals are, uh, the, the servant is sent to, to gather the individuals. Now these prominent Pharisees, friends, these individuals would have known and been very familiar with the teaching of Jesus. That's part of the context that we have to understand as well. All the way back in Luke chapter 4, let me just read this to you. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, 17, all the way through 21, Jesus is in the, in the, the temple, and an individual stands up and begins to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, Recovery for the sights of the blind and release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said, hey guys, you are in the presence of the reading of that particular prophecy and today in your presence it's being fulfilled in me. You see, in the past, the, the prophets said, save the date. They said, one's coming. One's coming who's going to set free the oppressed, give sight to the blind, uh, give give the ability to walk to the lame. Uh, that was to save the date that was proclaimed by the prophets. And now Jesus is saying, okay, the banquet is here, and the banquet is in me. The banquet is now ready because I have come. So come and receive uh, the gift that I am giving to you. They would have been familiar with that, that particular verse, that teaching. As a matter of fact, in chapter 13, Verse 26, they even said this, We ate and drank with you. We taught in your streets. We did what you told us to do. And Jesus goes on to say in chapter, 20, or chapter 13, verse 27, But he'll say to them, I don't know you, and I don't know where you're from. You see, these individuals, these people, my friends, are religious people. They are prominent Pharisees. They, had, they were familiar with the teaching of Jesus. They were even doing it. They ate with him, and they were teaching in the streets what it is that he told them to teach. But they had not embraced the gospel that has come in Jesus Christ. Look at the way our text begins, verse 15. One of those at the table said to him, well, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. I, I mean, I can almost hear it. You know, he's been saying, listen, you guys, I just healed this guy asking you questions. If, if it were right for me to heal him and you wouldn't answer, you remain silent because you don't know what you're talking about. And then I chastise you as the host and I chastise you as the guest trying to sit in the prominent places. I can imagine that a hush had fallen around the table. Why? They finally realized that Jesus was talking about them. And so one of them tries to break that tension. You ever been in that place where you're preaching the word, teaching the word, you come down and somebody tries to make a half-hearted joke to redirect it to get you off of, off of that awkward thing about applying the gospel in a time of sin or something like that. And so perhaps this guy in verse 15 is saying, Well... Blessed is the man who's going to enjoy the feast of the kingdom of God someday. And Jesus says, you still don't get it, do you? The kingdom is here. It's here in me. But they give three excuses. Look at these excuses. They all alike, verse 18, begin to make excuses. And the first one said, well, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. So please excuse me. Really? <laughs> 
What are you going to do? Dirt. Yeah, yeah, it's dirt. Weed over there. Just stand and look at the field. You're just going to go stand and look at the field, look at dirt? The second one. I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Really? You're an Israelite and you didn't try this out before you gave them some money for it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Irish people are the same way. The McGee's, yeah. Come on. You bought ten oxen, five yoke, two in each yoke. You bought them and you didn't try them out before you gave some money? That's no excuse. And then the other one said, I just got married. She won't let me come. <laughs> uh, he's probably the only one that had any kind of a resemblance of a good excuse. <laughs> Not only for that reason, but also because of Old Testament law that when you got married, you, you were off the military for a year so that you could consummate the marriage and so forth. But Jesus is really saying, really, this is no, between the save the date and Come now, the banquet is ready. You got married in there in between that, in between that short period of time? Really? Oh, oh, and you got married and didn't invite me? Really? All right, that's nice too. So all of these are excuses. Every one of them are excuses. So friends, I mean, this, this begs for us to ask the Spirit to search us and try us and to do the very same thing. What are your excuses to this gospel whereby you have devalued it? For many, it's this. Well, I'm just not a church person, you know? I'm not a church person. I don't need this organized religion. Or for others, their excuse is, I'm going to get to that later in life. I'm going to wait and have my fun right now, and then sometime later in life, I'll get to that. Or, or this excuse, you know, I'm not a weak person. You may be weak. Religion is a crutch. You need a crutch. I don't need a crutch, and so I'm, I'm not going to respond to that. But for most of us here in this place, prominent Pharisees, so to speak, what is it that's our excuse? We try everything else, and when nothing else works, then we run to Jesus. We try our own efforts, everything else, to fix this problem or this situation or this frustration, and then when that doesn't work, then I run to him and, and just expect that he's going to flood my soul and change everything for me. I have so devalued this relationship, trying so desperately on my own to get it, instead of finding my fullness in my Savior. Our excuses in failing to apply even biblical principles in our marriage in the relationships that we enjoy, we devalue the gospel when we fail to apply the scriptures to our very lives, our very relationships that we enjoy. And then lastly, my friends, we devalue or deny, reject the gospel when we think more highly of our doctrines than we think of our Savior. That's not reformed. As if Reformed theology is the Savior instead of Jesus. Now cut me, friends, and I will bleed Reformed blood. I think it's red. But I, I know I will bleed Reformed blood. I love my doctrines. The doctrines bring us together. The doctrines give us a full picture of who Jesus is. But have we devalued this gospel by failing to, to embrace what it is that he has given to us in this righteousness if we stand in his presence? Is he your Savior and your Lord? 
Or is he just your savior? And now you're the Lord of your own life. If so, my friends, you have devalued the gospel. Your response is one of rejection. You have made an excuse. And you have missed out, as Jesus says there in verse 24. Not one of you are invited, will ever taste in the banquet. But thanks be to God, my friends, Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't stop there, but he gives us this beautiful picture that's even more beautiful than we ever imagined. He says now, verse 21, or, or, or yeah, verse 21, uh, th- this marriage feast has been, has been uh, celebra- or, or announced, come, everything is now ready. And a servant comes back and says, uh, they're, they're not coming, and, and the owner of the house is angry, and rightly so. And so what does he say? Then go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, right here. Go out to the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And these are the very ones who would never expect that they would be given this gospel of grace. It is by grace that they, have, that they are saved. They never thought any, anything of themselves. These are the rejects. These are the low in society. They would have never thought that anything so gracious would have been given to them. But by grace, it is given to them. And Jesus has been talking about them in our passage right before. In verses so before 12... 10, 11, and 12, when he talks about when you have a feast, don't, don't sit and bring honored guests and sit at the places of honor, but go out and find the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, he says in verse 13. And then you will be blessed by inviting those because those people know they can't purchase what it is that they're given. They cannot repay the blessing that they have been given. That's what it says in verse 14. They can't repay you. And you will be replayed with blessings. So Jesus has been saying, these are the types of people that we're to go out and give the gospel to. And these are the type of people that we are to be. But notice the plan, friends. That's what I want you to see. Go out quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town. He says in verse 21. And then when the servant comes back and says, what you've ordered has already been done, but there's still room. All the ones in this town have already responded. The ones that are accepting this invitation and have come are already here and there's still room. And so verse 23, then the master tells him, now go out from our town, leave the town, go out into the country lanes and make them come in. What is he saying? What is Jesus giving us here? Friends, listen. He's giving us a beautiful picture of plan A from the very beginning. The fact that those individuals responded in rejection did not thwart the the banquet feast, did not thwart God's plan. But God's plan from the very foundation of the world, the beginning of the world, was never plan A and then plan B. But it was always plan A, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, that he would bring them both in. And that's what we find here. Go into your own town, your own streets and alleys, and get your crippled and your lame and your blind Israelites and then there's still room. Now go into the country lanes, out there where the Gentiles are that are blind and lame, and bring them in. Make them come in too. Now, if you're having trouble connecting that, believing that, let me give you just seven verses. I'm going to read you seven verses that give this idea that from the foundation of the world, God has ordained that it would be Jew and Gentile alike in the new Israel. Matthew chapter 10, this same 
uh, gospel or the gospel account, same version of Luke's uh, translation. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, the 12, the 12 Jesus sent out uh, with the, Jesus sent out the 12 with the following instructions. Do not go to the Gentiles or enter the towns of the Samaritan, Samaritans, but go rather only to the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus calls the 12 apostles to himself. He tells them to go, and he says, you go, but right now you go only to the Israelites. Do not go to the Gentiles. Matthew 21, further on in that same gospel, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God it will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who will produce fruit because they had rejected his own people. had come to his own and his own received him not. To the point then in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Now Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not just the Israelites, but now go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Romans chapter 11, this whole chapter of the engrafting in of the Gentiles. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. And then lastly, maybe, yes, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create one new humanity out of two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you see this? Friends, why, is, why am I belaboring this? Because this is good news for you and me. We are the Gentiles. That God has now said from the foundation of the world, my plan has been I was going to extend and what was once one I once was two at the separation. I had always planned to bring together to make one. It's not plan B. It's always plan A. Why? Why would Jesus do this? 
Why would Jesus give us this righteousness, this inheritance that once was for Adam and Eve in the garden, that became Israel in the old covenant and Israel and the Gentiles in the new covenant? Why would God do this? Why would Jesus do that? He tells us right here, verse 23, so that his house would be full, so that all those that he has elect from the foundation of the world would come, would actually respond, and in response would fill his very house. And so we have this order in verse 23, how we've come in, Now go out there to the country lanes. Don't plop yourself down and become a prominent Pharisee at your table sitting in a place of honor. But go out and make them come in. Now he's not talking about dragging them in and saying, just come here and just pray this little magic prayer and oh, that's all I need you to do is just pray this prayer. If you pray that prayer, then, then, then you're in. Then you're going to be... That's what he's been, been speaking against for the whole time. He's not talking about just a religion. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. The translation there gives us in Greek the understanding of tenacity, stick to itness. Don't give up. That friend of yours, that family member of yours, that co-worker of yours that is apart from saving grace, don't give up on them, my friends. But keep giving them the value of this gospel. Hit the road. Hit the country lanes out there and give them what it is that you have responded to. That you are living this out in front of them. The joy of the Lord cannot be contained in your body because you know the value of the full inheritance that's yours in this gospel. And you're speaking of it and you're living it and they're seeing it in you and they're drawn to you like a moth drawn to a flame. Spurgeon put it like this. Dear friends, when the Lord served some of us by His grace, it was no common event. When He brought us great sinners to His feet and washed us and clothed us and fed us and made us His own, it was a wonder to be talked about forever and ever. We will never leave off praising the name throughout eternity. That which looked as though it would defame the king turned out to his honor and the wedding was furnished as the feast began with the guests. That's you. If you're here today, you haven't devalued this gospel, but you've embraced this gospel. And the verses that we didn't look at that follow, the cost of being a disciple, friends, here it is. You understand that you cannot repay what it is that you have been given. You are crippled, you're blind, you're lame, you're dead, in sin and transgressions. But the beauty of the gospel is that God gives it to us as a free gift in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then verse 25 goes on to say, if you're going to come to me, you're going to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters. What He means by that is you're not going to put them over me. I am going to be sufficient. I'm going to be number one in your life. You can't be my disciple. Verse 27 If you do not pick up your cross and die to self and carry that cross, you you have made a response of rejection instead of a response of accepting. 
when you realize you cannot repay what you have been given, and that your response is to die to self, that Jesus is your Savior, He died on the cross so that you would live forever, but not just that, He is now the Lord and Master of your life, and every decision you make is based upon being a child of the living God. The way you spend your money, the way you treat your children, the way you treat your wife, the way you live in community, the way you work in the workplace. When you understand that you are dying to self and living to King Jesus, who says, come, the kingdom is in me, and I'm bidding you come, then and only then, my friends, will your response be one of true and complete acceptance. John Bunyan wrote about this in Pilgrim's Progress, one of the greatest books ever written. If you have not read that book, go get it. Well, not today. It's the Lord's Day. Go get it tomorrow and then buy it and read it tomorrow. The Pilgrim's Progress, it's an allegorical book of a relationship of Christian on his way to the celestial city, that big burden that's on his back, and he stands in the shadow of the cross, and the burden rolls down the hill, and he's on this journey on this journey from his wife and his children. He's left them on his way to the celestial city where he is given this gift of the gospel and he responds to it by accepting it. But at one point, he's walking down the road to the celestial city and two individuals, formalist and hypocrisy, jump over the wall and they start walking with him along the way. And Christian begins to question them wait a minute, you, you can't come into the way by climbing over the wall. You're supposed to go all the way back to the beginning and come through the gate. And the gate is the shepherd. The, ge- the shepherd guards the gate. It's Jesus. You've got to go back and come through Jesus. And formalist and hypocrisy say, eh, you know, people have been saying that for a thousand years, but people like me, like us, we've been getting in for a thousand years. It, it takes way too much time to go back and do it that way. We, we just climbed over the wall. We're in the way now. We're good. We got, it, we got our ticket. It's stamped. And then Christian begins to point out that while they think that they are like him, they are different. Christian says, but you don't have any robes of righteousness. You don't have God's mark on your forehead as the possession of your heavenly Father. You don't possess the scroll, which is the word that gives you assurance of the gift that God has given to you. They had devalued, thinking that it's easier just to come over the wall than to go all the way back and come through the gate, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, if that's, if that's us, then, then we, this gospel is a garage sale item that we've thrown on the table for somebody to pick up for a couple of bucks. And it's no gospel at all. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the gift of God that you can never earn and you can never deserve because you are lame, you're blind, you're dead, you're a sinner, just as we heard from Pastor Belanger. You're a sinner. But clothed in the righteousness of God, oh, doctor, I am now a child of the living King and I stand in His presence the moment I wake up in the morning 
and all throughout the moment of I'm, I'm asleep in my bed as a child of the living king, this beautiful inheritance that has changed my life, it's changed my marriage, it's changed the way I spend my money, it's changed my perspective, it's changed everything that I do. And that, friends, is how we know that we have responded by accepting that which we can never earn. Do it. Do it today. If it's not your Savior and your Lord today, He's there. He's saying, come, for everything is now ready. My house must be full. Yeah. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful gospel of grace that's ours in Jesus Christ alone. Oh, thank you, Father, that you give us this gospel, that, this, that the Gentiles have been engrafted, included in. We are yours because you ordained from the foundation of the world that two would become one. Two groups of people would become one people, your people, that you are our God and we are your people. And now you mark us even through covenant baptism that we enjoyed today, even through the Lord's table as we're about to celebrate, as you remind us that it's all about this covenant relationship and that you are renewing that relationship even through our liturgy, our worship this morning. You are giving us more of yourself, grace upon grace. Oh, how could we ever devalue this beautiful gospel that is ours. Work it in our hearts and our minds today and every day throughout all eternity until that day fully glorified we'll sing your praises forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. 469, how sweet and awesome is the place. That's our hymn. Remain seated so that we can uh, also be, give our gifts, uh, the gifts of our offerings. Friends, uh, in the bulletin every week, there's always that box of our financial giving by quarter. The first quarter we ended strong. We're about to end the second quarter and we're not strong. We're not strong at all. So please give hilariously and graciously to the work of the kingdom. And lastly, for those seated on the inside row, grab that black pad under the seat in front of you. Print all of the information requested there. Pass that pad down so that everyone can give us a record of their attendance. 469, remain seated. Let's sing.